there was a drop in temperature one year and it was because there was a bunch of sulfuric acid in the atmosphere and that's a big cooling element um and so it's like well why don't you just put sulfuric acid into the atmosphere to, to reduce global warming <laughs> that's because you get acid, acid rain, rain. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Stream of Consciousness, a radio program made possible through 90.3 KRNU Lincoln. I'm your host, I'm Ben Kula, and today I'm talking with Laurel. Hi, Laurel. Hi. <laughs> so uh, today, Laurel and I will be talking about conservation. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so what's a little bit of your background in this? Like, why why are we talking about this? I'm obviously like, I'm plant boy. Right. I love all this stuff. You're in the know. Um, so I'm a fisheries and wildlife and conservation biology major. Um, and so I've taken a lot of classes that talk a lot about, um, conservation on the more management side. But then when you're online, you see a lot of stuff about sustainability and like individual conservation. And sometimes the information just really grinds my gears because it's, I don't know. It's more activism and. Yeah. Pop almost like fads sometimes yeah yeah um there's a lot i've heard i haven't taken an environmentalism class per se because i'm not like an environmentalism major but i've heard mm. that a lot of those classes are more like um fear-mongering type stuff that you see a lot in the media so like there's a lot of fear-mongering about conservation and climate change and blah 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 blah, blah and sustainability and all those things yeah my classes that I take have a much more optimistic approach to those kinds of topics because it's about management. It's not about what is happening. It's about how to manage those things and the methods that you use to fix problems. It's all about fixing it, whereas the other ones are more about what's happening, why it's happening, and like not necessarily what do you do about it, just that it's happening <laughs> and there's nothing you can do because like for years they've been saying we only have 10 more years until the, the to the world's gone to shit. and they've been saying that since like the 60s and 70s i mean there was that <laughs> one documentary with al gore the inconvenient truth like that's the really famous one that mm -hmm. i know about but it, so rather than the reason we're talking about today is rather than having this sort of downcast hopeless view of conservation mm -hmm. maybe hopefully getting a look at the more positive side of potential change things that you can do on your own because i think a lot of stuff in the media is more like um it feels very unattainable yeah and it's like there's all this stuff about it's all big corporations and they're the problem which is true but then there's also a lot of things from like more traditional sources that are like i don't know the whole thing with like straw plastic straws and like getting rid of those and all kinds of stuff like that where it's like it's not attainable for everybody and so there's a lot of things that aren't talked about that are super easy to implement into your life and just it's just more an optimistic view of things you can do and i don't know 
and talking about those plastic straws type deal, like there's a lot of things like, yes, if you do this, it is technically good. Like, right. I, I can't go in here. So like you sh- like that's a stupid movement. Just keep using plastic. No, straws. it's definitely it's not stupid, but, but it's is, not the most important thing is exactly. to worry about the straws that you're using. So let's uh, maybe that's not the best one to start on. But what would be a <laughs> would be a good one to start with? Well, something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, because I crochet, <laughs> I love to crochet, and that sounds like it's irrelevant, but I think you can do so much with it, and something that really populates the trash world is your plastic bags from the grocery store or from takeout or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you can turn that into plastic yarn. And you can make things like kitchen mats, doormats, reusable grocery bags, things like that. Little water bottle holders. You can turn it into things instead of just throwing it in the trash. And then there's also all of those, like, maybe at Walmart they have the plastic bag recycling bins, you know. But, like, reduce, reuse, recycle. You take your stuff and you, like, with the water bottles, reduce the amount of water bottles that you're buying, you know. You only have, like, the three. And then you reuse the plastic bags and turn them into other things. And then you recycle the things that you can't use anymore. Like, I am i don't crochet. Right. I might not be able to use those. I might be able to give them to perhaps yes. you who might be able to use yep. them. You can totally do that. Or perhaps, like a good Midwestern family, I have my bag of bags. Yep. Which use, then I go Reuse and... them as your trash bags in your, in your bathroom, mm. in your car. <laughs> I want to make content about like how to crochet and how to make plastic yarn and the things that you can make out of plarn. That's what it's called, plarn. Plarn. <laughs> Very creative. Plarn. The away the way that I first learned how to make it took forever, and then I learned a new way, and I was like, this makes it so much faster. But so there's that. You can also something that I like to do is get yarn secondhand. So the way that applies to other things is like. You don't need a new wardrobe every, you know, you put your stuff into the into your storage bags and then get them out and stuff like that. But a lot of thrifting is a good way to do that. And it's really accessible. Yeah. And it's cheap. So. And I do know one of the major polluters overall is fast fashion. Yeah. This idea of the constant need for consumption and, oh, we're changing the styles and mm-hmm. this is out, this is in buy our new stuff and i know there's a couple of companies that do so ethically do so unethically and just having that sort of know-how of okay this is this is a bad trend that maybe for me in particular i don't want to participate in Mm -hmm. so i go thrifting so i do all this stuff but you can still be someone who enjoys fashion and enjoys keeping up with that and Mm -hmm. still finding ways to circumvent some of the problems at least the cool thing about clothing trends is that it's cyclical well all trends are cyclical and so like you're seeing a lot of 90s stuff coming back and maybe it looks different now but there's a lot of similar like pieces that you can pick out from the 90s that'll be in your thrift stores mm-hmm. and so you can still play into those trends and i personally enjoy thrifting like thrifting there, fun. there's that aspect of going shopping and mm-hmm. getting something new and with thrin- with thrifting it's a hunt <laughs> it it's is. 
it's all right. I'm going to go through this section. Ah, none of these, mm-hmm. none of these work or, oh my God, I absolutely love this, uh, jean jacket. It's a women's medium. <laughs> I cannot fit in this, <laughs> but being able to go, okay, well, we'll get them next time. You know? Yeah. I love looking at the plates and the cups. Oh, yeah, for, yeah. like, houseware, too. Because mm-hmm. you just wash them, and then it's fine. Yeah. I love it. Or you can get frames, because frames are really expensive, but you can get them cheap at thrift stores. Or you can, like, repaint over old paintings and stuff if you like doing that. But the stores are just, they have everything. They have everything. I was really surprised at how much yarn they have at thrift stores. Or- you can also, a lot of thrift stores will have old blankets, or old sweaters that were knitted or crocheted, and you can just take them apart. It's so easy, <laughs> especially crochet. It's so easy to just take it apart and just pull at it, and then you have your you have your own yarn. And you have like if you get a blanket, you're like, oh, I want to make a blanket, and you find one at the thrift store. It's not the style that you like, but you like the colors. You have enough yarn to make a blanket now. <laughs> and yarn is expensive. Yeah, it's so expensive. So. At yeah. the thrift store, nope, <laughs> it's so cheap there. It's amazing. It it's astounding how cheap it is. Um, but yeah, there's something really interesting about clothing making. Ellie was on a couple weeks ago yeah. talking about uh, cosplay and mm-hmm. that whole process, and it's very different from crochet. But it's just just the act of making and doing all of that. Is... I made my dog a hat and a sweater the other day. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. I love it. So getting back to conservation, (laughs) we've kind of talked about some kind of shopping alternatives for conservation. What are some other tips? Um, Well, it's a little harder for college students, but if you have like a balcony in your apartment or if you have a yard, maybe like you're in a townhouse or something that you're renting or someday when you have your own house, um, Backyard conservation is amazing. So with balconies and stuff like that, you can plant native wildflowers. It's not expensive. Um, You just have a few of them and then you have a pollinator garden right there. (laughs) And you're helping with the biodiversity of your area. And I mean, it's not a lot, but it does reduce like your carbon footprint and things like that. Something that I want to do so bad when I have my own yard you can do it on the small scale, but have they're called um, backyard corridors. Um, so corridors are like little pockets of land or area where native wildlife um, use it as like a resting place as they're going from place to place. And it's there can be big um, gaps in suitable areas for certain animals in an urban environment. Mm. because of streets and buildings and all kinds of things so if you have a backyard you can plant like those native plants but you can also have like a small little pot with water in it and have like a little um what are they called like tiny little fountain super cheap you can get like a plant pot fill it with water and like a little fountain and have like make some stairs out of rocks into it and inside of it and then you have a little pond for toads and frogs and stuff. And you just need like a plant pot and some water and rocks. That's about it, really. 
And so you're creating this space for your native wildlife to rest and be able to recuperate before they go back on their journey. And then you also get the added benefit of you're seeing animals. <laughs> really cute animals. There's foxes in my neighborhood. I love it. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Something great about Lincoln is all the micro parks that are here. Yeah. It's those are like little corridors for the animals because it's a space. It's a space for them to rest. There's lots of plants and stuff and so I love. Yeah, we've got some good big parks. In my neighborhood, we have a lot of micro parks. And so it's just like a little small little area with a couple benches and some trees and stuff and trash cans for you to throw away your dog poop bags and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's really cute. And there's so many of them. They're just littered everywhere. So those can form those sort of quarters you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But you in... can do it in your backyard too. Yeah. City. So That's something they touch on a lot in various mm-hmm. courses here over in Kasner of when you talk about corridors, I didn't know they're in corridor before, but mm-hmm. a lot of time we think about islands. Yeah. So a, a very kind of broad look at it is animals and plants can only exist in various places where it's suitable to them. Mm-hmm. And with urbanization, we're creating essentially islands, pockets, yeah. where a hawk might need f- – four square miles of territory in order to be able to successfully range they can only fly so far before they have to rest yeah so what that's called is fragmentation and the number one threat to wildlife right now is habitat loss and a main cause of that is that fragmentation building a road it immediately cuts a animal's habitat in half essentially Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of stuff with like turtles not being able to cross highways to get to the other side because they're going to get run over by semis. And so they create like little um little corridors for them. They go like underneath the road and it's a little tunnel for them to go through. And they kind of like divert it with fences so then they can't go across in other spots. But things like that. That's like on large scale that's what managers do, but Creating those little pockets in your yard. Land managers? Yeah. Not. Oh, sorry. (laughs) We're going to have to take up management with this. Yeah. So a big part of conservation is conservation managers. That is wildlife management. That's forest management. That's land management. All kinds of that. And those are the people that if you have a problem, if you're a farmer and you notice you have a problem with some sort of wildlife. Or something like that. You go to them and you tell them the problem. And then they have to assess all the different solutions to it and figure out, okay, what is the best possible way for me to be able to solve this problem and get the best, the most benefit from it? Um, And then they suggest that um, to the people that actually, you know, they work with like transit services and stuff like that for like the roads and those kinds of things. But that's a lot of that's a potential for me to do with my degree is become a manager and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Nice. So we talked about uh, I'm talking with Laurel, by the way. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about so far. Idea of reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah. Uh, plastic bags, various usage type mm-hmm. things. And then we kind of talked about potential things you can do just to be a benefit like it's not 
oh, if you don't do this, it's horrible. But this is something small that you can be doing that will make somewhat of a difference. Mm -hmm. You're not a bad person if you don't do it. If you have the resources to be able to create those little corridors, to be able to buy more sustainable products, you know, like plastic-free shampoos and stuff like that, if you have the money to be able to do that, it's amazing to do that, but you're not a bad person if you don't. And I think there's a lot of talk, like talking down to people in a lot of media about that. Yeah. So... I don't know. <laughs> but so then also like those little small things that you can do to be benefit. Mm-hmm. Anything more to kind of more potential tips? Um, I think hmm. I also am a big proponent of zoos. Zoos do a lot for conservation. And you know because I just did a survey about it and so And you are applying for a job. I'm applying for a job at a zoo. Um, And so back in the old days, zoos may not have been the best for um, animal welfare. There's all the stuff about animals shouldn't be kept in cages and blah, 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 blah. That was true back in the old days. Now there is a lot of government regulations. There's a lot of, yeah, just regulations about animal welfare. And there's the AZA, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. They have so many standards that you have to meet to be accredited accredited by the AZA. And so zoos have come so far from like the 60s and 70s. And now there's a lot of conservation that goes into zoos. Um, and so supporting those places and just going there and learning mm-hmm. about the animals and um, donating your money to the zoo does a lot for both the animals that are there and the animals that are out in the wild because zoos do a lot of conservation um, outside of their area. Honestly, that I didn't know. Like, I know zoos are very important both for, like, research mm-hmm. of, like, how do these animals act as well as um, the classic examples, like, the zoos in China that help with the giant pandas yeah. of, like, taking care of the children and all mm-hmm. that type stuff. But I didn't know that they actually do outside wildlife type things as well. Yeah. So zoos do a lot of things. And your money from your ticket into a zoo does a whole lot. Um, So not only do you get to learn a lot about the animal when you go there, and there's a lot of education that happens at a zoo. But there's this thing called in-situ conservation and ex-situ conservation. So you're doing it. In the place where the animal lives. Are you saying C2? C2. S-I-T-U. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the place where the animal lives in the wild, that kind of conservation. And then also captive breeding populations. That's a zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of zoos do both. And so the money that you give to the zoo goes into the upkeep of the animals there, the research on those animals, and also research on the animals out in the wild and conserving the species out in the wild. And so if you are really passionate about like rhinos, dangered, if you care a lot about black rhinos, one of the best things you can do is not only donate to those organizations that you that are like specifically for black rhinos, but you can go to the, a zoo that has them and you're supporting them that way and mm-hmm. you're supporting their conservation. I don't know. 
I'm just a huge proponent of zoos. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, they do all these great things. They're all so fun to go They're to. They're so fun to go to. Like I'm from Chicago, which we have a couple of mm-hmm. zoos, Brookfield Zoo and the Lincoln Zoo. But like just an hour away, mm-hmm. Henry Dorley, one of the. It's it goes back and forth with the San Diego Zoo is the number one zoo. I don't know if it's in the world, but at least in the nation. In the country, at least. Yeah. Um, they do so much conservation and they are huge with the, they just, they treat their animals really well and they do really well with education, education on the animals and on threats to wildlife and things like, and just conservation education. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very important, like to make that distinction of yes, zoos have been bad in the past mm -hmm. and some zoos aren't the best. The best thing that you can do, if you want to go to a zoo, you should look up if it's AZA accredited. If it's, if it's not AZA accredited, that doesn't mean it's bad because it takes a while to get accredited. Um, and that doesn't mean if you aren't that you're doing bad things. But if you want to be sure that the zoo that you're going to and wanting to support is treating their animals right and doing good with conservation efforts you should look up if they're AZA accredited because then they have all of those regulations that they have to be following to con- to continue being accredited. And there's a lot of conservation, like little conservation things that go into that. So yeah, that's the best thing you can do. Did this a little bit recently, but talking with Laurel, we um, were talking about conservation, biology, that sort of thing. A lot of things that there's a lot of fear-mongering out there about yes. the current state of climate change mm-hmm. and big corporations. And there is a lot of truth there. There is a lot of truth. But... There, there's a way to talk about it that does not have to be fear tactics, I think. Yeah. And talking about it in a way that frightens people, I don't think gets much done. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about zoos and all this, we talk. We know about fight, flight, mm-hmm. freeze. Yeah. If you have this big scary thing always looming over people, and you keep reminding them of it, we're getting that. We're more likely to get that freeze response than yeah. fight, because I, yeah. it's just the way it's phrased. Most often is. The planet's dying. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot from people who, um, because of the coursework that I've, the way that the coursework that I've taken is um, taught in the more optimistic managing type of way, um, I have a more optimistic view of the future and of the world. A lot of people who have not taken classes like that or have researched that kind of stuff get a lot of that fear mongering and they, I just hear a lot of what's the point you know like why even do anything i'm not gonna make a big difference or anything um it's really sad to hear because i'm like no there's so much that you can do and like it's not even just the little things just the little things and you don't have to feel bad and people are working on it you know you don't hear about the people working on it as much doesn't get as good of publicity nope because i mean we are a University of Nebraska is a mm-hmm. land-grant university, so most of our work that's being done here is mm-hmm. research, and even people here are working on things that can potentially help, but 
those always behind closed doors and science moves very slow. Yes. That's something that I think isn't really talked about very much in the mainstream. It's like, oh, this, this, zap, zap. Mm-hmm. But a specific problem, a specific goal that uh, a lab, not even just a scientist, but mm-hmm. like a lab sets out to do is going to take years and yeah. years of things to do. And while so they can't. It's not like a debate of like, oh, this is happening. How do we fix it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a response right away. So the media is constantly flying this, 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 saying yeah. things. And the time that it takes to formulate a response of like proper evidence, proper experimentation, it just doesn't move at the same pace. So we get bombarded with all of these same things over and over again. When there Mm -hmm. is a lot of active work being done in those positions. And what I think is really frustrating for me is when I hear these scare tactic things and I hear all the people that are in that freeze mode with Mm. like the world and climate change and things like that. You kind of stop listening to the to the good things that are happening. And it's hard they kind of get um, taken over by the scary things, you know? And what's really important is to start talking about what's in the works. People are actually working on this stuff. What has changed in the last 10 years that is good, you know? Like the ozone layer. We fully fixed the it's hole. It's fixed. Like, it's fixed. You know? Uh, Mostly, at least. Yeah. The fact that... Um, in the early 2000s, they basically looked up and went, oh, hey, there's a massive hole in our ozone layer, right. which is a problem for radiation, giving background for people who maybe like, oh, this has been too long. But it was found out to be called by, oh, I don't, what's the act? It's like fluorine, like some specific aerosols was causing. There was, was yeah, about like all the hairsprays. <laughs> And saying the hairsprays are causing the holes in the ozone layers and stuff like that. It wasn't just hairsprays, Not but just a lot hairsprays, of but... aerosol products that yeah. specifically had these cup whatever composition in them. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, no, this is big and terrible and awful. And then we a lot of work got put into it. A lot mm-hmm. of works finding substitutes for those compounds and researching, OK, what's going on in these positions? And it was just like reactions with nitrogen Mm-hmm. That was breaking apart the O3 molecules and they researched it over a course of 10, 20 years, however long. And then they said, OK, we're making substitutes. We are trying to remedy this. And at the end of the story, it mostly filled up. It mostly got fixed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not perfect. So it's not something that we have to worry about as much anymore. Obviously, you want to keep monitoring it. Something in um, management, conservation management, Mm -hmm. is adaptive management plans. And so what you do with that is you create – you. there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into it. But essentially, you have a plan. You start working on it. And every – we'll say every year, you go back and you look at what's happened and how has things – how have things changed? Has anything changed? Has it gotten worse? Has it gotten better? And what can we change about our approach and our strategy to make it better? Um, and so I think 
that's just something that you have to think about is just like looking at things constantly and not just thinking, you know, this thing is bad always. Mm-hmm. No. We had to reevaluate, constantly reevaluate things. Um, and that's just kind of tied all together the idea of active management as an optimistic view yes. of the future, mm-hmm. as in we are working towards it. This is the plan we have in position that we are trying to do now. And the plan is always changing. It's adapting to how the problems are changing and how um, how the world is changing. As like with climate change um, and global warming and things like that, there's it's not something that you say, okay, the earth is warming up. This is what we're going to do. And then you just do that for the rest of your life. It's not that's not what happens. What happens is you reevaluate every year, every few months or something and you see is what we're doing actually working. And something that was really interesting in one of my classes, we were looking at the temperatures of the atmosphere and there was a drop in temperature one year and it was because there was a bunch of sulfuric acid in the atmosphere and that's a big cooling element. Um, And so it's like, well, why don't you just put sulfuric acid into the atmosphere to to reduce global warming? (laughs) That's because you get acid acid rain. rain. (laughs) That's why. And the reason why there was a big dip is because that came from a volcanic eruption. Mm. So I don't know. That was a little bit of a tangent, but. (laughs) But like also that's like that's another example of Mm -hmm. acid rain is not nearly as big of a problem as it used to be. Right. And that's also with like media literacy and also the fear mongering is like look there was this like a dip in the temperatures this year because of sulfuric acid let's why are the why are the scientists not adding more sulfuric acid to the atmosphere and then you look at it and you're like okay that's why they're not doing it because it's not smart (laughs) it's not gonna fix the problem it's gonna create more problems yeah there's other things that you can do there's other things that we are doing already yeah, and I think a really the main reason I wanted to talk about it, not only does it grind my gears, but also if we're if you're like seeing all this thing online, all the people, all the kids in high school that are online and seeing all this bad stuff, they're going to like internalize it and they're those are the people that are about to be going into the workforce. You know, and they're the ones that want to change, but if you keep hearing the stuff about how it's uh, it's horrible and everything's bad and there's nothing we can do then they're not going to want to do it one person can't do enough yeah they're not they it feels like you can't do anything you can and that's why we need to talk about it and the little things that you can do so yeah. well thank you laurel <laughs> thank uh this was a stream of conscious on 90.3 <laughs> krnu goodbye <laughs> goodbye <laughs>